out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Did I speak with my friend Matthew? This is the second time I talked to Matthew for Meet Me in the Field. But it is the first time that you would hear him, because I lost the first recording. How that happened, I'm not sure. But what I do know now is that Yaku is right when he urges me to keep a backup copy of the original chat, which I've never done before, but I am doing it now. Nothing like learning the hard way. Matthew and I met quite a few years ago. He always fascinated me because he was always so casual. He looked very at ease with himself. It was only later, when I saw that he directed the stage play Salwan and Gabriel, that I realized that he is a writer, director, teacher and script editor. So that's where the artistic flair comes from. He is the writer of a children's book, Helga's Big Splash. It's a beautiful book. Get your hands on it. I really recommend it. The illustrations are beyond amazing. It's such a sweet story as well. He also wrote The Three Wells of Screenwriting, which is a book that helps writers to smoothly sail around writer's block and help them to never run out of ideas. Learn more about him and his work at matthewkhalil.com. Matthew also hosts his own podcast called The Three Wells Podcast, which is available on Listen Notes at www.listennotes.com. Just search for The Three Wells. I'm grateful that Matthew agreed to talk to Meet Me in the Field a second time. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There's also a 24-day step coaching and counseling program available based on The First Layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. This is Matthew's story. Sit back and enjoy. Matthew, welcome to Meet Me in the Field Take Two. Fantastic. Thank you so much indeed. And I'm glad you're putting that disclaimer out there. We've done this before and then Freddie lost it all. I'm blaming you. Yes. I don't I don't appreciate the accusatory tone. Well let's say the computer lost it all. No. I I really don't know what happened. So when was December? It was long enough ago that I can't remember anything that I said. That, that's exactly what I said. Let's wait for a while because my memory is very yeah, bad as well. Yeah, so no, so I, this I, time... I really can't remember anything. I just remember my housemate was moving out. Yes. And now my housemates are moving in. Awesome. That's actually quite strange. So it's the end and the beginning. Yeah. Last cool. time you were here, she was moving yeah. out and now people are moving in today. Fantastic. coincidence. Anyway, here we are in the field. Cool. Since our last chat, mm. you've been in, in Johannesburg and you've been on another podcast. I have, I have indeed, indie, yes. An indie movie podcast, what mm. was it called again? It's called Indie Film Hustle. Yes. And it's by this guy called Alex Ferrari, that's his real name. <laughs> uh, and he, he lives in LA and he's got, well, I think it's the world's most popular uh, podcast on filmmaking. Oh, wow. Mm, yeah. And so, actually, yeah, you're right, when I was in Johannesburg, we he did a Skype call with me yeah. and uh, it was fantastic. It was really, it was really, really an energetic, it was a <laughs> very, very energetic podcast. Yeah. I can't believe how much energy I had. I was, <laughs> the funny thing is, he's got a lot of energy and he's got that american you know ally yeah. like, hey matthew hey, nah, nah. exactly yeah. so i go like <laughs> and the next <laughs> thing you, reacted, you, you just yeah. reacted to that energy i couldn't <laughs> believe it i must say a few a few weeks later i was i was feeling a bit down a bit like you know not inspired 
And I listened to the podcast and I thought, who is this guy? This Matthew guy. He sounds so enthusiastic and so positive about I, life. When I grew up, I want to be like him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, that's me. Yeah. Exactly. So what are you working on at the moment? Right now, I'm, I'm working on creating a thing called Script Walks, which is walks with people who have story ideas that they want to tell or want to write, yeah. or people who have written story ideas and scripts and feature films and they're stuck. Yes. And so I'm developing this thing, which is called Script Walk. And I had my first one on what, two days ago, I think, okay. where I met with this guy, Dion, who's got a cool feature film idea and he's written it. And we went on a walk for an hour or so and we just talk. A little bit like this podcast, actually. We just talk about the story. It's a focused discussion. Okay. And so I'm working on developing those and doing more and more of those in my life. Okay. So that's my main focus. As you know, I wrote the book, The Three Worlds yes, of Screenwriting. Exactly, yeah. Which has been published like internationally and was... Like, I'm so jealous about that. But anyway, <laughs> I put my own personal things aside. And well, I'm, I'm very happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very happy for you that you're self-published and make all the money out of the book, whereas I only get 5% of my book one day eventually. So, <laughs> you know, there's always a flip side on either, I, yeah, on either yeah. story, you know, it's really <laughs> it's interesting. We look true. at the other and we go like, yeah. But, I look um, at my Amazon sales and I was like, why do I only get 30% of this? Oh, uh, 30%, like you. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. So it's the funny thing that though, once you, once I achieve, you know, you achieve something, you always think I want to be published, I want to be published. And then you get published and then you're like, oh, there's this, you know, it's not the goal. It's not, it's not that the yeah. goal is just to be happy in the moment, I think. Yes. And, you know, I'm like, once I was published, I thought, oh, great. And I thought also, oh, published by an international, even Absolutely, better. Yeah. And I mean, look, Michael Visa Productions are amazing and they're a great family and I love the guys there. But publish, the publishing world is a very, very tricky world. Yeah. And it's actually difficult for them to know how many books they've sold. Um, and therefore difficult for me to know how many books I've sold. And therefore difficult to know how much money I've been going to get from it. So, yeah. it's a, you know, it's funny. It's a, it's a complicated thing. Once you're there, once you've achieved that thing, once you've made that feature film, once you've, there's always the next step. Yes. And it's always, yeah, it's just interesting to me how that, how that so happens. So, you're a writer. You're a director. You do other things as well but before I get to that so these walks oh, that yes. you do is that to, to help the writer to get unblocked to unlock more to very much so. go deeper to yeah so so this is nearly like like in a writing counseling you do. very much so okay that's yeah. excellent. so actually what it is is it's based on my therapist my, who's a yeah sort of specialist in in certain fields she i don't know how she where she got this idea from but i was really inspired she just walks with me she doesn't have offices she used to rent out offices uh, um, and and then i think she just decided no i want to walk with people so she started walking with people on seapoint promenade okay and now she's also got another spot that she walks with in sort of constantia it's like a lovely green Sort of, uh, it's almost a, it's a it's a convent of some kind, and it's a, like a nunnery or something. It's very mm -hmm. beautiful, and I meet her there, and we walk for an hour, and, and talk have, about and whatever about, going you know, on you know, for you. It's basically a therapy session, yeah. but you're walking, and I thought to myself, she doesn't sit in front of a laptop. She doesn't sit down drinking coffee in a coffee shop. She's walking. She's in nature. She's having an amazing life. So I was inspired to then. I do script editing work and I often do sit in front of a laptop giving feedback on scripts and then sending yeah. it to writers and then sometimes we meet and then we sit in front of laptops again and we write. Okay. And it's just a, 
sitting in front of a laptop is just like a boring thing, but it's what most of us actually do. Even game rangers sit in front of laptops counting, you know, animals. And, you know, they do this. It's bizarre. You think I want to be a game ranger yeah. and you watch them and they're sitting in their office in front of laptops. So I wanted to avoid doing that. That was the, the selfish reason, I suppose, for creating the script walk. But then also I realized that when I'm walking, especially in nature, open to the sea, open to the air, yeah. like ideas just come. And you it, live two blocks away from the sea. Exactly. So yeah, it's no, really fantastic. Dumb. Yeah. And so also um, there's famous writers who used to walk. So Charles Dickens famously used to walk through London two hours every day. I think two or three hours every oh, day. Wow. And so he used to write in total silence and then he used to go out and walk. And he made sure that he walked every day for two or three hours through okay. London. And I think as he walked, the stories would come to him. The people He'd see people who yeah. would inspire things. So that was amazing. Franz Kafka used to walk in Prague in the middle of the night, you know, sort of tortured, <laughs> tortured soul that he was. Dark soul. <laughs> yeah. Like my dream uh, last night. <laughs> so exactly, yeah. He's, you had a Kafkaesque dream apparently. But yeah, he used to walk and, and, then, and then right into like three o'clock in the morning for like the whole time. And then he used to sleep briefly and then oh go to work. God. So, but that's interesting, the different way the right. So he had a day job. He did. He had a crazy day job. Yeah, for his whole life, he worked for an insurance company. And so, what he used to do is he used to. It's very funny, but he used to write injury reports, and he used to write things like, if somebody's thumb gets cut off, how much can yeah. they can they get out of okay. the insurance? And then these like detailed drawings of people's thumbs coming off. And th- so he used to be. He was an insurance assessor actually, and he worked okay. for this big company. And every day at like I don't know, he used to work there. I think at about five or six hours a day, he would walk to this big you know building and get inside and he was a clerk essentially <laughs> and then he used to write these reports on injury reports and he did that his whole life until oh much later in life where he got too sick and then he went to um, yeah, for the last couple of years of his life he wasn't doing that but uh, he died quite young and that's what he did so he worked it's amazing that he found the time hey and it's Jeez. always interesting to me that Franz Kafka one of the most sort of, you know, life-changing or, or sort of, uh, well, he's life-changing for me, but uh, within literature, he changed literature, you know. Yeah. The, the word Kafkaesque exactly, is, yeah. is a word that is one of the few, he's one of the few writers that has a word named after him, you know, for yeah. his style. And he worked nine to five everywhere. It wasn't quite nine to five, but he worked yeah. six hours every day in an insurance company. It's like the most boring and then he would go home and write. So, <laughs> I wonder what those reports were like. Did, did he write it interestingly? And no, I think it was quite boring and mundane. And I don't know if we have that anymore. Day job is, yeah, is, just is, a fucking day job. Yeah, just a total So do you, this is not a personal question, I might edit this out, but do you get paid for this these walks? A fortune. I just the money keeps rolling in. No. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> so are you going to? to we to, are to, in to, South Africa in a to, recession. To so, give to the poor people like me. I would love to. I would love to. Um, you know, I would love to actually be able to give. It's one of the things that I would love to yeah. have lots of money because if I had money, I know for sure that I would give. Like, yes. I would just love to. It's it's funny how that hasn't happened to me really, and I can give what I have, and I do. But I, w- I would just love to have money so yeah. I can give. I'm absolutely a giver. I love, love, yeah. love. And I, I have this picture of myself on an, a small holding type of farmy type of thing with mm. loads and loads of rescue animals. Oh, <laughs> I can see that. Yes. That's totally possible. Absolutely. That's wow. just... You do good things. But you want to give. Mm. What do you believe in? What's your belief system? Sure. That is a great And if you say, I believe the children are our future, teach them well and lead them the way. way. How did you know? That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, It's sure, that's a good question. Wow. You identify as Christian. 
Mm, no. <laughs> so that's also an interesting question. I somebody asked me the other day, "Am I Christian?" I'm not Christian. Okay. I don't. I can't identify with that label. Not for me, and not for I think what the world says Christianity okay. is about. So my long journey to back to some sort of a faith, if that's the word. Yeah is a long, long story, which I could talk to you about, but I don't know if you've got the time. But I'll try and give you a summary version. Um, you I'm grew gonna, up with religion. I did. I yes. grew up with a Catholic background. Yes. When I was younger, I really felt a connection to the sort of Catholic God. And I also felt quite um, like I had my first Holy Communion and I wanted to be a priest at some point. I was part of the thing called the Society of Mary at school. I got the top marks in religious studies. Ah. So I was kind of destined for priesthood yeah. in some way. And I really felt at the time as a sense of community that, you know, there was the priest was the guy who was getting all the accolades. And I think I wanted to be that priest. Okay. I think I actually wanted respect and, and admiration from my peers rather than just to be a man of God, okay. to be humbled before God. I think so it was the motivation a, wasn't 100% pure as... No, not at all. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. And then I suppose I had a crisis of faith and I started going down different paths. And it definitely had to do with some sort of, let's call it an addiction to maybe pornography and for looking at images of women. And, you know, as a young child, I think a lot of kids, they do, you know, experiment on this kind of thing. But for me, it became a bit of an obsession. I think I've had a lot of guilt and shame around it. Yeah. And it sort of compounded and compounded and yes. compo compounded. And eventually my faith sort of started slipping away and taking okay. a back seat. So Another as, way, as the one one grew, the other one waned. It absolutely, was kind of the, 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 the absolutely. balance shifted. And and in a way, you know, when I look back on it at other parts of my life, I was like, yeah, I started looking at becoming interested in girls, and I got a girlfriend, and that was it. And then religion didn't wasn't part of that. Yeah. Um, and that's a simple understanding of it. But I think it was more complicated than that. I think that my, I just started drifting away from my connection with like some sort of a higher power. I guess yeah. that that's what happened in a way. So then, uh, but I was still searching. I was okay. still looking for something, always looking for something. And I, I remember reading books at the same time I was reading books about the Catholic faith and realizing okay. how evil they were in the past and what terrible things they've done and even what terrible things they continue to do. And so I, I got really, really disillusioned with um, the Catholic faith. I mean, at that time, I even went on a pilgrimage to Lesotho to see the Pope at the time. Oh, you know, really? It was like serious stuff that I was okay. in. But then I started becoming disillusioned and then I started keeping on looking. And I looked at things like... I went back to like the original, I don't know, religions in between the Tigris and the Euphrates River in Mesopotamia, the original, like I was trying to find the original yeah. religion in a way to be authentic to it. And so I went back to those kind of ancient Babylonian mythologies and stuff. And I started saying these prayers to Enlil, the wind of God. I mean, the God of wind or whatever, you know, these kind of like weird yeah. things. And then I started looking at um, Egyptian uh, religion and then I started looking at Taoism and Buddhism Good grief. of course so you really went in search of I did, yeah. and all by reading yes I also looked at paganism for a while and I was part of the pagan federation of South Africa and my friends were part of you know we used to go and do rituals on the mountain oh, and really? you know all these kind of things you know worshipping the sun and the moon and not worshipping the sun I mean being inspired by the sun yeah. and the moon as, as, as celestial bodies and events that mark our time and that kind of so yeah I went all out. And eventually I just stopped looking. So how old were you in, in this really searching period? A long time. That was from probably 18, <clears throat> 17, 18 after school to 30? No. Oh, wow. Okay. 20, I'd say 26-ish. 
okay. 18 to 26. And it's weird that I can be so precise, but yes. but I actually, it's weird that you ask me that I'm suddenly like, yep, I remember exactly when I stopped looking. Oh my word. It's quite interesting. And that coincided, this is one thing I remember about mm-hmm. our first yeah. interview because it freaked me the fuck out. Was, okay. You used to be a goth. Yes. <laughs> and was that in your goth, in your goth period? <laughs> that was actually in my goth period. <laughs> That's really funny. It's at times like this where I wish we, we actually did video interviews. Yes. Because if you look at Matthew today, and you, I, I don't see a goth. <laughs> I wish I, I could I find thought, a photograph. I thought you just see a, see a priest and a goth. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So some priests wear black. And they look pretty cool, like gods. <laughs> you, get, you get this one order of priests. I think they're the Jesuits. They're the ones that are the dark, you know, ah, the dark arts of Catholicism. <laughs> so I might have been those, but I wouldn't have. I would have been a Franciscan, like in love and peace. And, uh, you know, cool. all these kind of, that would have been me. That's really funny. No, I mean, I, I find it so funny. I teach these acting classes as well. And when I'm teaching acting classes, I get really animated and excited. And when I was a goth, everybody thought I was Eeyore. You know, the okay. from <laughs> That was my nickname, Eeyore. Like I people, see, I was like, yes. oh, hello, Matthew. Yeah, it was really like, <laughs> my energy was low. Now my acting classes are like, no, you're Tigger. And I'm like, Tigger? Are you kidding me? I'm Eeyore. So it's funny how I have both of these yeah. sides in me. And I still have the ability to go to dark places and be quite, you know, sort of. But I think, you know, the thing with the Goths was, I was still looking for something. I was looking for belonging. I think I was looking for community of some kind and I was definitely looking for an alternative to South African culture because I grew up in Tableview Ah. which was like suburbia um, and it was just not really there wasn't much around there wasn't even a in, when I grew up there, there was no bay, Bayside Mall yeah. or whatever. There was no malls. There was nothing. Oh, it, was, wow. it was absolutely wild. Hmm. And then suburbia grew up around me. And yeah. It was quite like oppressive, actually, feeling that. And I was always looking for a way out and an escape and something to get out of. And uh, a friend of mine's uncle came down from the UK wow. with all these like recordings of The Clash and The Cult and The Cure and all these bands beginning okay. with C for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It just so happens that a lot of goth bands begin with C. And... Uh, I started listening to that music and there was something in it that I really resonated with and I still like it in some ways but what is interesting is how I've stopped listening to that kind of music and I don't know why it's interesting I've, I've kind of slowed down on the goth front quite quite strongly although the cure is coming to South Africa soon in a couple of weeks and I'm gonna oh. watch them <laughs> so that's yeah. okay but yeah, yeah the goth thing was it was interesting. Yeah, I don't know what it was about, but it did coincide with that. And okay. I was definitely a goth. As a matter of fact, there's a guy who runs a goth club. And uh, when I walk in, if I go in there now and he's, and I, I could wear what I'm wearing. And then all the other goths will just look at me like, who is this freak? Yeah. And I remember once he said to them, no, 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 leave him alone. He's black on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fabulous. And Anyhow. what ended it? Sure. That is a good question. What ended the gothdom? Yeah, because it said at the age of, mm. uh, age of 26, that's when it yeah. ended. I think, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's ever totally ended. But you, you can clearly say at 26 <laughs> something changed. So what 26, 26 26? Yeah. yeah. I how old are you now? Oh, I'm old. <clears throat> I don't even know how old I am. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> 40... Uh, Six, I think, or 47. No, 73 I was born, so I don't know how old I'm. Our maths is terrible. So you are What's six years younger than I am, and I'm 51, so you're 46. Okay. Wow, are you so young? Yes, you look so young. I'm going to give you 51. Give me hope for the future, baby. <laughs> Thank no, you, you very, very much. Very, lots of young energy. I love it. <laughs> 
Yeah, so goths. What made so it you end? cut your hair? You cut said. my hair was a big one. Uh, but something I, must have made you decide to, because mm, how long was your hair? Oh, my hair went all the way down to my uh, waist at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had long, is long it hair. long and straight? If it's if uh, it, is it's, it straight, it's kind of it's long. slightly wavy. Okay, slightly oh, wavy. Oh. But yeah, yeah. And then so I you cut could it have been short. Timothy boy. <laughs> that was often another joke about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And blacky. Well, it was very, very dark, okay. as you can see, but sometimes I even dyed it black because I wanted to be oh, more like ooh. Trent Reznor or something. <laughs> yeah. And you drank the dye that made you black inside. <laughs> Indeed, yes, totally, totally, totally. Yeah, so yeah, it's been a long journey, man. Well, just sitting here, I'm thinking, Phew, what a journey. It's been so long. It's lovely. Like, so much has happened. So much has changed in my life. Yeah. Sure. So what made you decide to cut the hair? Part of me almost wants to say conformity and when I got a proper job teaching students, okay. you know, when I was teaching um, and, and there was a time when I was 30 and I felt that I had to get a real job and buy a house and, you know, all okay. those kind of things. Were so really real, real conformity. Yeah, you. pretty much in a way. I mean, I was always working. I was working in a film school and I got a, you know, now I was kind of working really, really hard and running around like crazy. And I think I wanted to then, yeah, you know, you can't really, well, you could be, a, you could totally be dressed up as a goth and still do that. But I think I'm, I just wanted to conform and, you know, I felt I had to wear chinos and button up shirts. <laughs> that lasted about a month. I, 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 struggled, I struggled to see that. <laughs> you struggled to see the goth or the chinos. I like that. But I, I, like that. I, I, I could completely identify with what yeah. I'm seeing now. The barefoot. Just really more, casual. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Because you got married with bare feet as well. I did indeed. Yeah, my feet's an interesting story because I am often barefoot. But if you look at my toes, I don't know if you can see, you see how it bends? This toe bends underneath that one. So I've actually got totally underneath. So this toe never touches the ground. (laughs) And so my second from the left toe on my left foot bends underneath the other one and lifts it up. And it's actually a bone deformity that goes underneath it. And it's on both feet. And when I was younger... It was a huge sense of shame and insecurity for me. Oh, my word. I would never be barefoot. I would never wear slops, ever, because I would just think people were looking at my feet yeah. all the time. <laughs> I thought people are looking at my feet and judging me. You know, like, it's crazy. So now when I'm walking around barefoot and with slops, it's like a huge change. Because, yeah. I mean, they're, they're lost anyway, but it just means I'm more, like, relaxed and more, yeah. like, you know, happy Amazing. with the world, yes. happy with my place in the world. I'm like... Even talking about it now, like I can draw attention to it and feel nothing yeah. because that's just the way I am and it's unique enough. And if I walk on the on the beach, I leave four little footprints behind because you need to see that. Word, yeah, absolutely. So this one never touches the ground. So you can tell where I've been because I'm the four. Like, <laughs> it looks like I've got four toes. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the barefoot and the goth. And the, I so, think maybe so, the goth so, was also hiding some of, the, yeah. some of myself, you know? I think so. Definitely. Conformatism mm. hit you right between the eyes. Mm. And... Where were you at that stage spiritually, still on the searching journey? I'd never stopped because I would still do rituals occasionally, sort of paganish things. But I was not, I was actually, I became quite an atheist actually. Okay. Yeah, very much so. I became really angry at, at Christians and religion in a, in a big way. And I also went to university and did a lot of like Marxist theory and UCT is very Marxist oriented amongst yeah. the humanities. And so I became quite vehemently anti-Christian and okay. anti-religion. Um, you know, religion yeah, being opium, opium of the, the soul, ma- yeah, of, 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 of the masses. masses of the soul and I mean, it's kind of true. I mean, I drove, uh, I drove, again, it came back to me. I drove past um, <clears throat> Lavender Hill yesterday and they were setting up for this massive church with this big tent. Oh, is that the big tent that, that, that big we saw? Tent, yeah, yeah and, all, and I just thought to myself, oh, 
You're just stealing these people's money, motherfuckers. Sorry. Yeah. I but it's, you know, I really did. <laughs> We're allowed to swear on you. Okay, good. We're explicit. Um, <laughs> explicit content. Exactly. So uh, I, I got kind of quite angry again with people, and I still am actually quite angry, people abusing, even the Catholic Church, you know. I, I, and I go to church now. This is the funny thing. is my, my religion and my, my, my development. What happened? I read a very important book for me, which was by Karen Armstrong, who's an ex-nun, who's an amazing... I found the note I made the other day. Oh, really? This. Karen Armstrong. The Case for God. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I probably spoke about it. So we obviously spoke podcast. about it and I made a note yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Because she, was a, she is amazing and she writes really amazing books. And she wrote this book called The Case for God. And in it, what she does is she looks at the history of God and our understanding as humanity of this, of this God concept. And she goes all the way back from like caveman time to now. So she goes, wow. it's, it's a quite a thorough and quite an academic study of God and our understanding of God. And what she do, realizes is that at a certain point, humanity always understood God using mythos, as in, as in just the myth of God, the myth, yeah. of, the myth of understanding. And then there's another part of humanity that was logos, which is our logical understanding, okay, our scientific yeah. mind. And she, she quotes someone, and I'm going to get it totally wrong, but she quotes one of the scientists that we all know, like Isaac Newton, or um, maybe it was Einstein, or someone like that, who used to go to church. Yes. And he was like, you're Christian. Would define himself as a Christian, but yet he was a scientist. Yeah. And the scientific community were like, how can you go to church when you're publishing these things about atoms and things? And he was like, it's not the same thing. It's not That's the same part thing. of my mind. Yeah. It's just not, this is logical, rational science, and this is myths, and this is what keeps me alive, and this is what I need to, to live in the world. And so I suddenly realized, Okay. I can't apply words and logic and reason to my beliefs. Yeah. Because if I do, I'm going to destroy them immediately. I mean, I, I can't apply the same logic and, and um, almost, I don't know what the word is, but like, yeah, I can't use logos to understand mythos. Yeah. And that was this divide. But what was interesting is that when early Christianity kind of re-arose in America, and she points to America as a particular time, the fundamental Christians in America starting to use logos to understand their world and explain their world. They would say, yes, no, 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 no. The Bible is, lo is logically, rationally true. Therefore, you know, God, you know, there are no, there's no evolution. Um, God does miracles. Um, there's all this, you know, and they, were, and they would use that as their logical yeah. framework through which to actually design their whole belief system in, in life and their functional system in life yes. and their laws and their reasons. And it's the same with Islam. If you take Islam and Islamicize it and turn it into yeah. a fundamental understanding of, of laws and rational, you know, scientific understanding of the world, it gets really, really complicated and can get really dangerous. And so she points that out and says, look, there's a misunderstanding here in, in, in you know, you can't actually use the same part of your mind to talk about your faith and your belief as you can to talk about science and reasoning. So that was a real opening for me because it allowed me the sort of freedom to say, okay, amazing. there's something softer and gentler and more accommodating and more uh, forgiving in a belief in a higher power yeah. that doesn't, that shouldn't have to stand up to the attack of logic and ration. And it's personal, very personal to yeah. me. So I, yeah, so I started Amazing. opening up to this ability that I can use myths to understand certain complexities of life. So for example, especially around addiction, especially around death, especially around the complexities 
around hope, these notions that are, f- are actually quite difficult to grasp with your logical mind. Yeah. There's a space for that oh, wow. with religion and God yes. and our understanding of God. And I think there is a freedom and a relief for me in, in allowing myself to experience that. So when you asked me if I'm a Christian earlier, actually, I'm quite into the Islamic notion of not mentioning the name of God because the word God comes from Logos, as in it's, it's G-O-D, it's written out. We have an understanding, a logical understanding yeah. of the word God. And so when I say the word God, I'm evoking an understanding in your mind and everyone else's mind, but it's using Logos. It's not using yeah. Mythos. I, I much prefer the encounter with God, as in through meditation, through those God moments that you cannot yeah. explain, um, through the just unbelievable coincidences that happen, and these like God or Goddess moments that you just like. I experience them not with Logos. So I can't use, so even like the word God, as soon as we start using words, yeah. it fails my, my religion and my understanding. So if you say, are oh, you a Christian? I'm really like, yeah. I want to just keep quiet because I want to say nothing. Amazing. That's what I want to yeah. say. I want to say nothing. And it's the same with, with my faith is like, it's almost like I don't want to talk about it, but I'm, this is what you know, this podcast is sort of about. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it, but I know that I'm failing immediately by using logos and words yeah. and rational explanations to talk about my faith. I'm already failing. Um, which, of course, the atheists will say like, well, you know, how can you do this? Yeah. I think Shakespeare <laughs> said something like there is, uh, what is it? There's this great quote about there is uh, more on earth than we will ever understand. That's ah. not what it's, it's not that, but it's something. And then, you know, you're like, well, how do you know that? You can't understand that. So you, you can kind yeah. of destroy it. But so, yeah, my, my, my faith is a very fragile one. So what I'm hearing you saying is, my concept of addiction versus recovery. Mm. Addiction is a head process. Yes. When I'm in my head, I am in, in a dangerous space because that, that's where the shit is. Yep. While recovery is a heart process. Absolutely. It's something that I must feel. Absolutely. I must, connect, I must connect with the me, with the spirit, with the good and inside others, me. Yeah. And, and, and bring that out. And that's where recovery lies. Absolutely. And I really, I, I giggled while you were talking because it suddenly dawned on me that when you said the word meditation, hmm. that you and I meet on the field every now and we then. We do. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. In the, in the, yeah. We use the same meditation yeah, app. And really we can funny. see that the other one is yeah. meditating. I mean, when you saw me earlier yeah. this morning, oh, I saw you meditating. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually really awesome. That's really interesting. It, it, it brings a true soul connection. Absolutely. And the weirdest thing is that on that app, mm. I've made a friend. Ah. Yes. Good. We started saying nice to meditate with yeah, you. Yeah. And then, I don't know how it happened, but we started writing little messages to each yeah. other. And then I heard that she's going to India. Oh, she oh, let wow. me know that she's going to be away for, for a while because she's going to India to a meditation and whatever retreat hmm. and then we, we we kept in contact there that's so cool and i've now arranged with her to to come on the, on the podcast no way. and she said to me why me we now actually on whatsapp contact so i've never oh, met great. her before and she said why me and i said well because number one we met hmm. in 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 a, in a space where we where, where this podcast is about yeah number two is you went on the spiritual journey to, yeah. to india 
So that's exactly absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. It's like one of those goddess moments yeah, where you exactly, suddenly like yeah. connected and you and we have truly become friends. Yeah. I would I would send a message how you feeling how you doing today. Like, yeah. I'm actually not feeling well. I'm sick. And the next day I would send a message and say how are you feeling today. And it's a weird. I've, I've made a friend via Amazing. meditation. That is so cool. I love it. I <laughs> yeah. love it. I love yeah. it. And that is truly meet me in the field it is so, absolutely so we go to that space and that is where we meet yeah. and that that is where we connect absolutely there's something very weird i'm going to do now go but on, on the wall of the room that we in ah. there's a scratch map <laughs> and Indeed. am i correct in saying that what you do is once you visited a country or a space scratch you, you scratch it up absolutely and whose map is this so this is a com combined, combined one with my, my wife and i okay. so yeah, as you can see, there's... Well, Southern Africa's been done, if I look at it. Yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah, virtually. Europe's definitely been done. Yep. S spots of North America and spots of Australia. Yes. So what's interesting is we decided with this map, it, not I to scratch up... Where, where did we get it? Where did we get it? Okay, I found it in like a little exchange. They do these things. Musenberg's amazing, by the way. Everyone to live in Musenberg, come to Musenberg. It's so good. absolutely love it's so Musenberg. amazing here. I love I'm it so much. I'm getting to know so many Brothers, people in Musenberg. Do you know, you walk down the street, it's a village. I, and yeah. yesterday I showed some friends of mine around. And I was like, hey, there's June. Hi, June, who runs yeah. a little coffee shop. And then there's the butcher guy. Hey, butcher guy. And there's a bakery guy. a significant and, sense of community. Absolutely. Very and much I never so. thought of it that way. I, so I this thought map, it was kind of an outpost. No, no, no. Massive community, which is why no one ever wants to leave and like go very far away yeah. like to Cape Town you know from Musenberg that's yeah. too far <laughs> anyway but uh, so this map came from one of these swap event things that people do where they swap clothing and um, you know they, they've got stuff they want to get rid of and yeah. then they just give it away or they do it cheaply or whatever I think this is where it comes from I and, would love um, to have one Clear of got one of these and they are so cool you can buy them anyway they actually are for sale in Cork Bay I know that for sure okay um, oh, and you know, so you're to in Cork Bay today oh you can yeah. find them there you can scratch out the sections the of section the, of it where yeah. you've been and then it turns from like a sort of a grey background yeah. into a colourful background yeah. and theoretically if you land in the country and I guess you know you can scratch it off but we've only like Clea's been to these parts of Australia, but she hasn't okay. been to the rest of it. So we haven't scratched out the whole of Australia, okay, yeah. where some people would. So yeah. I could scratch out the whole of Australia. Mm. I could scratch out the whole of China and the whole of the US. But I don't feel that's right. Yeah. Even Madagascar, you can see I've only scratched yes, the I, top I, half. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> Which is it's just the way I want to do it. But yes. Cool. That is really lovely. And uh, mm. strange how how I made a connection between those journeys on the map mm. and the journeys we make in in in, in our spiritual life. Mm. Did any of those journeys change your spirit? Or did oh, all of them change your spirit? That's a great question. Sure. A lot of them changed my life, for sure. Cool. Definitely. Trips to America was important, especially with screenwriting. <clears throat> those were more recent trips with, with, with your yeah, book. And, yeah, and, and that's where I met. Um, I had unbelievable coincidences where I met like the best people for this yeah. book and for this world. And awesome. it was just amazing higher power stuff as well. Just like, wow. Um, that changed my life. I think I spent a long time alone on the Isle of Jura, which is the small oh, little island. That was island. when you did your masters. Yes. yes. Did I speak about that last yes, time? Yes, we spoke oh, about last time. This, this so absolute amazing. remote island where you sat Absolutely. In. Yeah, amazing, so there's a, yeah. a small island called the Isle of Jura, which is just off Scotland. It's just off near Glasgow. Um, so it's the west coast of Scotland and it's tiny and, and George Orwell wrote 1984 on this, yes. on this island. Yes, now I remember I was, I think I did tell you the whole story about how how I ended up at this island. Another crazy high power moment where I was, someone said to me, why don't you try go live on the Isle of um, 
Juro because I had got a, a funding for the second half of my studies. Yeah. Um, I got the scholarship, which was amazing, like a real godsend. And I could stay anywhere in the UK. And so I decided to stay on Isle of Juro. And I looked up the George Orwell wrote 1984 on Juro. So I was like, okay, cool. I want to write. I'll go live on Juro. And what uh, inspiration? It was very inspiring. And then I went to the um, Glastonbury Festival and I was sitting on this rock like a sort of stone circle rocky thing and in those days I was probably still sort of slightly pagan and but I was always in touch there's always some guiding thing happening in my life this is I suppose what's quite interesting is I was sitting there and, and uh, they had this daily roster of, what, of the events that were happening at Glastonbury. But each day had was dedicated to a person. Okay. And that day was dedicated to George Orwell. And I was like, huh, how about that? That's quite something. And then I looked down and at the base of the rock was a book. <laughs> 1984. Oh my word. It was a penguin copy of 1984. Which I picked up and I was like, there's no one else around. Everyone else had gone. Someone had left their copy of 1984 on the rock. I was like, you're kidding me. This is a sign I must (laughs) go to Jura. So I went to Jura and I think spending, I think it was three months, essentially alone a lot of the time, was amazing for me. It was like where I was alone, but it wasn't, it was solitude, not loneliness. And it was really important for me to do that. And my heart and a certain part of my soul is definitely in Jura. Lots of walks, lots of experiences of just crazy. I mean, there was only, I think, 200 people on the island or something. And like, it's quite a big island and it's spread out. So it was very much, and there was like lots of deer and stags and it was just, it was amazing. Um, So that journey, I think, was really, really seminal for me. Um, And I wrote... I wrote a little kid's book, which was eventually published there. So that was my first. I still want to read that. That uh, was called Helga's Big Splash. And that is about a hippo. A hippo, yes. Oh, so a hippo. We, oh, we, where is it? It's what well, I'm publishing. Um, <laughs> there is a publisher who will probably not be listening to this, who has got copies probably somewhere. Um, they used to be available a couple of years back in exclusive books okay. in various places. And even on Amazon, I think you can probably still buy it on Amazon. I think. I'm going to look on Amazon. Yeah. Because I was looking about at writing a children's book, kind of somehow bringing the danger of, addi- of addiction mm. into it. So what's really weird Yes. with my book I think I may have told you this yes Whereas, but I think it's uh, important to, to hear this is, is that Helga's Big Splash is a very simple story about a big pink hippo who's really really big and every morning she walks down to the waterhole where all the other animals are waiting so there's the Jemima the giraffe and Bartholomew the baboon and Walter the warthog and they sit there and every morning Helga jumps into the water and lands kasplush, and splashes all the other animals and, hey, and Helga's daily splash keeps them cool under the hot African sun and everything's fine except one cold morning when Helga walks down and jumps into the water and splashes them and they get all cold and they, oh, they get upset they're like oh Helga you're far too fat to be splashing about in the water but no one's ever called Helga fat before ah. so she creeps back home and she stops eating oh my word yeah and she starts exercising ex- obsessively exercising exercising to lose weight until she becomes this thin hippopotamus and there's a very dark moment in the book um, where there's this thing which says so Helga only uh, ate one leaf for breakfast and or no she didn't eat any breakfast or any lunch and only had one leaf for <gasps> supper and the but but hippos love food so the thinner Helga got the sadder she got. Oh, and the sadder she got, the thinner she wanted to be. Oh, no. That's at the heart of the book. Yeah. And then she goes and she slides into the water when all her friends are there. And they look at her and they go, Helga, is that you? It can't be. And she says, yes, it's me. And then they say, 
but we loved you the way you were when you were eating and splashing and jumping yeah. and then she's like you did and then she goes back and she eats and they all they prepare a, f- a feast for her and she eats and she becomes herself again and she maintains a happy healthy figure for the rest of oh. her life or a happy healthy hippo figure for the rest of her life and that's, it's so kind of, you know, that's the story um, and it's a lovely story it came to me in a flash like an inspiration the whole thing and um, but at the heart of the book was something I only realized later in recovery yes. I was like aha right. so the thinner Helga wanted to be the sadder she was and the sadder she was you know that that conundrum that right. heart of addiction absolutely that sort of shame Amazing wanting life. to stop shame wanting to stop shame wanting to was at the heart of this book and I didn't realize it at the time because I was in active addiction yes. so I didn't quite realize what was going on have you thought of revisiting her for a second book and writing about the understanding she got maybe I haven't thought of that. There's the second, third, and fourth book in the series, actually, already, which I've sort of written. The second book is Walter the Warthog, where he cleans up, and uh, he cleans up too much, and it becomes super clean, and OCD about his cleaning. So actually, (laughs) Walter cleans up is a lovely story as well. But anyway, it's... uh, So when are those coming out? Well, the problem with it is that uh, the guy who illustrated the book is amazing, and he did it for free as part of his master's studies, and um, we need to find funding to pay for his illustration. It's not fair if he just illustrates it for free. It takes too much time. And we try to get the second book up and running, and it hasn't happened. So. Have you done crowdfunding? I did try crowdfunding, and I even actually got because um, Helga was published nationally through the Nali Bali Reading Campaign. So it went to schools all over the place okay. and translated into Isposa and various other languages. And, and yeah, so it went and it, it was out in the world and was released in the Sunday Times as a little supplement. So Helga was out there, and I thought, okay, now's the time. Crowdfunding, and we got a whole crowdfunding, did a video, but no, that never really went anyway. So Helga's on hold, but it's interesting that we're talking about it. I must talk to you about that. I do like Helga. Because we're, I am busy with working on something extremely exciting Ooh. with another very prominent counselor. Oh, we're working we on something oh. called the Recovery Festival. Ah. And that's going to happen in September. Great idea. It's going to be a two-day re- conference on recovery, not oh, on addiction, cool. mm. on recovery. Fantastic. I'm coming from both the academic side, psychiatry basically, to standard 12-step and CBT, okay. and we're bringing the whole New Age movement in as oh, well. Fantastic. So it's recovery, all movements under one roof mm. for two days where we interact and we mm. exchange ideas. Wow. And that might be a good place yeah, to relaunch a crowdfunding type nice. of type Thank of you, thing. Freddie. It's a good sponsor. Mm. Mm. But on that wonderful note, exciting note, I must say yes. we need to end because I need to go and share my story at Codependence Anonymous. Good for you. Which I'm kind of freaking off, freaking about because I have I've never shared this. So um, you know, it's go be places amazing. you've never been before. You know, it's going to be amazing. Awesome, Matthew. Thank you so Thanks, much. Freddie. And I can't believe how different the second recording was to the first. There is no comparison. There is no comparison. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what what had to happen. Yeah. Thank you very much. Enjoy enjoy your. Thanks, day. Freddie. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Bye. Bye. I am beyond happy that I eventually managed to get this podcast episode out. I'm also incredibly grateful that Matthew agreed to talk to meet me in the field again, but that we also managed to capture the energy of the first recording again. I wish Matthew all of the best on all his endeavours, but mostly today I hold thumbs that he gets the funding to publish the other stories in the Helga series. Helga is such a beautiful product and I'm sure the other three will be equally spectacular if he can manage to publish those. Children all over the world deserve to read these stories. 
If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field, or Freddy Counselor, or Freddy van Rensburg, or on Twitter at, at @rensburgfreddy, or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an I-E at the end. I want to thank Matthew for his time in talking to Meet Me in the Field. Thank you for your listening. Be safe. Bye.